A good evening. It is Sunday, the 16th of May. It is five o'clock, just after five o'clock. Uh, my name is Richard. I'm one of the leaders at Kingfisher Church, and this is Live at Five. This is our our Sunday evening um, look at the Bible. That's what we're here for. Let me not say any more. And um, we're going to talk about the Bible. Uh, let me pray for us as we look at our passage this evening, which is Proverbs chapter 27. Our Father in heaven, as we come um, to look at your word, we seek your help. Lord, as we come um, somewhat abruptly as it is uh, to open up the scriptures and to get our thinking into gear, we, we pray very much your spirit would help us take us, grasp hold of our thoughts and our hearts uh, with your word uh, that we might take hold of the Lord Jesus. Now, we pray very much for your help. Now, I pray for your help as I speak. And I pray for all of us as we listen in Jesus name. Amen. Uh, so um, Augustine was the um, Bishop of Hippo in the kind of fourth century. Um, maybe one of the most kind of influential philosopher theologians of all time. Uh, and he said this, he said, in this world, two things are essential. Two things are essential. How would you complete? How do you think he completed that sentence? Two essential things. Well, this is what he said. Two things are essential. A healthy life and friendship. He explained it like this. God created humans so that they might exist and live. This is life. But if they are not to remain solitary, there must be friendship friendship so easy to talk about the value of friendship isn't it much much harder to do it and look now for you how would you assess your friendships uh, i guess it kind of brings the question of what even is friendship the, the society in which we live in has become kind of increasingly individualistic um, and, and that means that kind of instinctively, because we tend to be individualistic, we hold friendships lightly. We kind of subconsciously think of ourselves as independent. Uh, the poet W.H. Auden wrote a poem which said, Easy at first, the language of friendship is, as we soon discover, very difficult to speak well. Well, this passage we have in Proverbs gives us biblical wisdom on the subject of friendship. So I'm going to read for us now Proverbs chapter 27. It was going to help you a lot if you have it in front of you as we look at this this evening. Proverbs 27. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Let someone else praise you and not your own mouth, an outsider and not your own lips. Stone is heavy and sand a burden but a fool's provocation is heavier than both. Anger is cruel and fury overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. One who is full loathes honey from the comb, but to the hungry, even what is bitter tastes sweet. Like a bird that flees its nest is anyone who flees from home. 
Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. Do not forsake your friend or a friend of your family and do not go to your relative's house when disaster strikes you. Better a neighbour nearby than a relative far away. Be wise, my son, and bring joy to my heart. Then I can answer anyone who treats me with contempt. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. Take the garment of one who puts up security for a stranger. Hold it in pledge if it is done for an outsider. If anyone loudly blesses their neighbour early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. A quarrelsome wife is like the dripping of a leaky roof in a rainstorm. Restraining her is like restraining the wind or grasping oil with the hand. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. The one who guards a fig tree will eat its fruit, and whoever protects their master will be honoured. As water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. Death and destruction are never satisfied, and neither are human eyes. The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but people are tested by their praise. Though you grind a fool in a mortar, grinding him like grain with a pestle, you will not remove their folly from them. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. For riches do not endure forever and a crown is not secure for all generations. When the hay is removed and new growth appears and the grass from the hills is gathered in, the lambs will provide you with clothing and the goats with the price of a field. You will have plenty of goat's milk to feed your family and to nourish your female servants. Uh, there is a lot going on in this passage. Um, we're not going to have a chance to cover all of it. And yet what this passage broadly does is it begins by identifying a problem. Then it explores an answer. And then it concludes by drawing us to the foundation to that answer. And the problem here we will see is us. The answer is friendship and the foundation is Christ. So look with me. First of all, the problem. Verses one to four put, put a kind of finger into a wound uh, they, they identify uh, something that has to be addressed. Uh, and the issue in these verses is that of pride. It's a, a false view of your own ability and your own importance. Uh, the issue of pride is ubiquitous. You see, the book of Proverbs defines faith uh, like this. In Proverbs chapter three, uh, faith is defined as trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And that's what faith is. Faith is to is to, to recognise the awesome excellence of God Almighty and recognise his immense being and his power and his greatness and his glory and his goodness. And then submitting to him. The fear of the Lord, trusting the Lord because he is God and you are not. That's faith in Proverbs. And the alternative to faith is pride. Now, all sin in some way is pride and pride comes out in so many different ways and the verses here touch on a couple of ways that pride might be blossoming in our hearts let's have a look verses one and two pride is thinking you know more than you do verse one do not boast about tomorrow for you do not know what a day may bring boasting about tomorrow that's when we we, we trust ourselves 
to bring about our plans. It's when we say, this is what I will do because I can do it. I have managed all of the variables that will affect the outcome and it will happen. And if you do that, we make plans all the time, don't we? Our plans for the future, financial plans about our savings, our mortgages, our pensions, our investments. We plan our activities, don't we? We say that this is what I'm working towards and we plot it and we scheme and then we rest confident in our abilities to manage and to manoeuvre through the situation to bring about the outcome that we're seeking. But, you know, this kind of pride can work in a, a more negative way. And when we start to worry about the future, when we start to fret and catastrophize about what's going to happen and we start to say it's all going to go badly and this is going to happen and then because that happens and this will happen and because that happens and this will happen and everything will fall apart. First one that says, but you do not know what a day may bring. You just don't know. And why not? Well, because because you're not God. You don't know what a day may bring. This pride is when we trust our own understanding and fail to rely on the Lord. Verses one and two are very closely related and the the need to kind of recognise our own limitations is developed a bit further in verse two. He says, let someone else praise you and not your own mouth, an outsider and not your own lips saying like you you might as well let a stranger praise you give give as much weight to your own self-opinion as you would to the view of somebody who has never met you don't think too much about yourself don't praise yourself why not well like in verse one because you don't know you don't even know yourself well enough verses one and two are raising this pride issue of thinking that you know more than you actually do And then verses three and four raise the pride issue of thinking you deserve what is not given. These verses three and four speak of a a kind of folly that corrodes the soul and society. It's a cruel and an overwhelming burden. And the climax of these these pair of verses is who can stand before jealousy, jealousy, envy. (laughs) Envy comes from pride. See, a proud heart wants to be recognised, feels a great sense of its own significance and needs to be seen. I wonder if you see that in yourself. And when, when somebody else is being noticed and you are overlooked, when somebody else is li- listened to and you feel like you're ignored. And when, when you start to say to yourself, why didn't? I get thanked. Now, why didn't anybody see what I was doing? Or, or when we look at the things that others have in their lives and we start to think, why has that person got those things, got that life, that home, that family, that car, that job, that opportunity? And why have they got it? They're not any better than me. I deserve those things. to kind of speak personally on this and when I meet with other church leaders and I hear about some of the wonderful things that are going on in their churches and somebody there's something within me that says but why them 
no, surely I'm working just as hard, just as faithfully, maybe more so. So why isn't there revival happening here? Why is it happening to them? It's ugly, really ugly. Instead of praising God for what he gives to others, I grumble. Because deep down, there's something in me that says, I deserve what they have. I deserve more than what I have. It's awful. It is envy. It's twisted into every human soul. We shouldn't be naive to think that any of us is immune. It is envy that spilled the first human blood. It is envy that spilled the blood of Christ. Envy rots the fallen human heart. Pride. Pride is a problem. So we think we know more than we do. We think we deserve what is not given. We rely on ourselves. We stop trusting the Lord. We've got to deal with this. We've got to deal with it in here, in our hearts. Now, identifying a problem is, is just the first step. And our passage does that. It identifies a problem. The problem is us. The problem is our pride, corrupted hearts. But then our passage brings us on and uh, explores an answer. So we come to think about answer in verses five through to 19. You know, I, I wonder if we if we ever think that dealing with sin ends once we've identified it. Now, when we think, ah, I've managed to identify some sin, job done, I can move on. Doesn't work with fishing, does it? Say, I've spotted some fish, so now I can go home. No, once you spot it, you need to get it. Now, see how verse five, look at verse five, it immediately brings us to the issue of rebuke and love. Rebuke and love go hand in hand. The, the answer to this problem that is identified is that of friendship and the way that friendship works. A J.C. Ryle was bishop in Liverpool a hundred or so years ago, and he said, the this world is full of sorrow because it is full of sin. It is a dark place. It is a lonely place. It is a disappointing place. And to some extent, I think that captures verses one to four. And we, we look at sin, we find that our hearts are impl implicated in it, are corrupted. And we look at the world and we see there's so much badness. But, but Ryle continues, he says, the brightest sunbeam in it, the brightest sunbeam in this dark and lonely and disappointing place. The brightest sunbeam is a friend. Friendship. What is true friendship? And let's see um, three aspects of true friendship in these verses. The first one is friendship loves too much to ignore our sin. Friendship loves too much to ignore our sin. See verse nine. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart. And the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. The sweetness of friendship. Friendship that brings joy to the heart is that friends give heartfelt advice. They tell you what you need to hear. And this heartfelt advice is what is described in verses five and six. It's not hidden love. That's not love. A true friendship loves enough to rebuke, to point out our sin. Now, do you know that you are constantly lied to? Your own heart lies to you. Your, the, the devil lies to you. The world in which we live lies to you. 
Now, every time you turn on the TV, you'll be sold a million twisted truths. As verse six says, an enemy multiplies kisses. False friends tell us nonsense. They deceive with their flattery and the deceitfulness of sin caresses our wounded pride. And it tells us that the fault is never here. It tells us always the fault is out there and we don't need to change anything. Now, there's so much that goes by the name of friendship that is not friendship at all. There are some people who think that they have loads of friends and in reality they have none. Maybe there are some people who don't think they have any friends and actually they have more than they realise. A true friendship wounds us. A true friends love us too much for us to be ruined in our sin. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. This heartfelt advice is a healing wound. It is sweet when we are loved like this. It is. It brings joy to our hearts. See, when we are hungry for wholeness and hungry for life and hungry for healing, verse seven, even then what is bitter, the bitter rebuke will be sweet. Friendship loves too much to ignore our sin. But secondly, these verses show that friendship requires tact. Friendship is a moving towards friends aren't just kind of names in an address book they're people we go to verse 10 says that these long-term friends these proven friends that's where you go in times of trouble friends are, are people you go to but tact is needed and you see verse 12 highlights a danger of rushing in it says they're prudent they see trouble but they don't jump on it a true friendship will talk about sin True friendship will include rebuke, but true friendship will not always talk about sin. In our friendships, it is prudent when we notice a danger, when we notice something that might be sinful that we don't immediately talk about. We take time to step back, we pray and we reflect and we think about the conversation that might or might not be needed. There's tact. You see, and, and this tact is needed to know when it is cruel to be kind and when kindness is cruel. See verse 13, it, uh, verse 13 describes somebody who's got themselves into a fix. They've entered a kind of silly business venture. They've put their garment up for security for someone they know nothing about. And verse 13 says, intervene. When your friend does that, intervene. Uh, take it from them. See, sometimes our friends will put themselves in situations where where, where the loving thing is to intervene sharply. Sometimes we have to be cruel to be kind. But then verse 14 looks at it the other way around. It is kind to bless your neighbour or your friend. It's kind to bless your friend. But verse 14 is saying how we do it and when we do it will make all the difference. Tact is needed and tact is needed to stick at it and most sin problems aren't solved in an instance our lives are messy but verse 15 a quarrelsome wife is like the dripping of a leaky roof in a rainstorm restraining her is like restraining the wind or grasping oil with the hand now these proverbs are addressed to a young man so the example given to him is about his wife it would equally apply to a quarrelsome husband and what these ver this verse describes is a situation that is a hard situation, hard to endure, and it's persistent. 
and it doesn't change quickly. There's not an easy answer to it. And in the context of friendship, I think we're showing that friendship is not something where you just kind of hit and run and everything gets sorted out. That with friendship, we need to stick with it. It requires long term investment in the lives of others. Now, there is tact required. Friendship requires tact. And then thirdly, friendship is mutual. Look at verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Or literally, so one person sharpens the face of his friend. A friendship in these verses is, is perfume and it is iron. Friendship is sweetness and it is sword. The sharpening of the face is, is the edge of the weapon, the face of the weapon. Friendship makes us fit for battle. And you've got to see, of course, the mutuality of this. There are two parts in a friendship. There is iron and there is iron and the relationship produces sharpening. So we need to ask them, what, how do our friendships compare to this? What kind of friend are you? Is your friendship just niceties or do you love enough to rebuke? Is your friendship tactful, taking time to talk about the hard things? And how well do you discern about when it, you need to be cruel to be kind, but when kindness is being cruel? And is your friendship committed? Are you, are you stuck there for the long haul? Would you label your friendships as perfume and iron, sweetness and salt? Well, Augustine said there must be friendship. Iron cannot sharpen itself. We can't do it alone. In the Christian life, we need each other, not just in word, but in deed. Iron has to meet with iron. Friend has to meet with friend. And as long as sin remains, friendship is needed. Iron sharpens iron. One commentator said it's like this, said, walk together in mutual consideration of each other's infirmities, trials and temptations and mutual provocation of each other's gifts and graces. That's iron sharpening iron. It's when you see your friend, you put on this attitude of, I am going to consider them. I'm going to look for and listen for their infirmities and their trials and their temptations. And I'm going to try to provoke their gifts and their graces. Iron sharpening iron. Uh, verse 19 says, as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. Uh, it's another way of saying that friendship is mutual. Uh, we see, when you look into a pool of still water, you look and you see a reflection of your own face. And the proverb is saying that in the same way, when you look at the life of someone else, you can see something about your own heart. You know, of, of course, on the one hand, our experiences are very different from one to another. Uh, our sins, our sorrows, our celebrations are unique on one hand. But on the other hand, we share the same fallen and if we're in Christ, redeemed humanity. So when we look carefully at someone else, we can learn things about ourselves. And that, that's actually one of the great comforts that friendship brings. I, I think often we can feel as though we are the only ones in all the world who feel like we do. And in some sense, that's probably true. 
But, but in another sense, in the New Testament, when Peter writes to a group of Christians going through a hard time, he reminds them of this. He says, the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings, not the same sufferings, the same kind of sufferings. You see, in, in our friendships, as we share our lives together, we find our hearts experience the same kind of thing. And that helps us. It helps us to show sympathy, helps us to encourage fellow sinners. Friendship is mutual. And so our passage identifies a problem, which is us, our pride corrupted hearts. And then our passage explores an answer, which is true friendship. But that is not where it ends. In verses 20 to 22, we begin to see a foundation to it all. Now look at verse 20. Verse 20 takes a bit of a dark turn, really. Death and destruction are never satisfied and neither are human eyes. Death here is, is personified as this great monster with a gaping mouth, always hungry to eliminate life. Hunger that's never satisfied, always crying for more. And the proverb says, the appetite of humans is like that. We have a destructive longing that can't be quenched that things aren't enough we're not content of course we see that don't we in society we see it how power is never enough money is never enough fame is never enough and so there's war and there's conflict and there's injustice we see it in our own hearts we, we chomp for more we think the grass is greener we look for something else and it's not enough and when we have what we think we need it's it, it's not enough Uh, verse 21 goes to show how we can assess ourselves on this. It speaks of the crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but people are tested by their praise. Our praise reveals our appetites, what we rave about, what we admire, what we daydream about, where our idle thoughts go. Our praise reveals our desires. See, verse 20 is showing Something about our human desires is both insatiable and destructive. And again, we're being reminded, as we were in verses one to four, of this problem. Us. And the answer, as we've seen, is true friendship. But how can that friendship make a difference? You see, the, the problem in our heart, our our, our pride, our corrupt desires, our fallenness, our sin. This is what Proverbs calls folly. That's when we don't trust the Lord, but we exalt ourselves and we cling to evil. And Romans 1 calls sin foolishness. Sin is folly. But bring that into verse 22. Verse 22, though you grind a fool in a mortar, grinding them like grain with a pestle, you will not remove their folly from them. Got to take this seriously. What can friendship do for the foolishness in our heart when it's nearly impossible to remove it? You see the image in verse 22. This fool is put under intense stress. He's pressed and he's ground and yet the folly doesn't go away. Now we can see something of the sin in our hearts and we can go to great lengths to remove it surround ourselves with the rebuke of friends and wear ourselves out, but the sin is not budged. 
We've got to ask ourselves with verse 22, what good is all this talk of friendship if at the end of the day we are stuck with our sin? Now, do we kind of shrink friendship, reduce friendship to merely a kind of joining hands as we jump out of an aeroplane without a parachute? Nice to have someone with you, but you're both going to be smashed on the rocks. Verse 22 is telling us that dealing with the reality of sin in our lives is impossible. Do you get that? I've just been reading with my children C.S. Lewis's The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. In the story, it tells of this boy, Eustace, who stumbles over a pile of treasure. He imagines what power having this treasure could bring for him. But sleeping on the treasure turns him into a dragon. Uh, And then one night, the lion meets him. Uh, The lion tells him to undress and Eustace looks at his ugly dragon skin and he tries to peel it off and he manages to remove a layer of his skin and finds to his despair he is still a dragon underneath. He cannot change himself. However much he tears at his flesh, he is still a dragon. Friends, that's how it is for us. But we can't remove the sin from our hearts, however much we tear. But then in the story, the lion said to Eustace, you will have to let me undress you. And Eustace recalls, I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back to let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. But he did it. He did what Eustace could never do for himself. He removed the dragonness and left him as a boy. And we cannot remove our sin. We need to let him undress us. Now, where can we go with this? Now, in, in Proverbs 27, verse 20, it tells us death is uns- insatiable and the human appetite never stops chomping on destruction. But in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 23, it says, the fear of the Lord leads to life and whoever has it rests satisfied. There is an escape from death. There is a rest that satisfies the deepest longing of the human heart. See, when this Lord became flesh, He said, come to me and I will give you rest. And when this Lord became flesh, they called him the friend of sinners. And he said, a greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And then he did just that. You see, he knew that we couldn't grind out our own folly. So he took our folly on himself and he gave himself into the very jaws of death. And he was consumed for us. The only way for our sin to be removed. And then he burst out the other side back to life. And so now the fear of the Lord leads to life. Those who call on the name of the Lord Jesus in repentance and in faith have eternal life. Have that promise of entering sinless rest in the deep satisfaction of God. 
Christ is the truest friend. Christ, he loves you with the with the truest love, the greatest love. He laid down his life to take away your sin. And now as our truest friend, as he says in Revelation chapter three, he rebukes those he loves because his work is to purify a people that are his very own. Dealing with the sin in our lives is impossible apart from the work and person of Jesus Christ. There is no other way to deal with sin than to deal with it with Christ. There's no other way. We've got to get that fixed. No resolve, no habit forming activity, no grinding in the mortar will make any difference. Only with Christ can our sin be removed. Only with Christ. But, you know, that doesn't make our friendships redundant. This is the very foundation of friendship. There must be friendship. But true friendship is built on the foundation of laid by Christ. Augustine knew this when he said, you only love your friend truly, after all, when you love God in your friend, either because he is in him or in order that he may be in him. This is true love and respect. The true friendship is perfume and iron. It is sweetness and sword. True friendship loves too much to ignore our sin. True friendship works at tact, seeking when to speak and when not to speak. When, when to be cruel is to be kind and when kindness is cruel. True friendship sticks at it. True friendship is mutual. It is iron sharpening iron. And all of this must be built on the work and person of Jesus Christ. This friendship is sweet because it helps us cling to the one who is the sweetness and the life of our souls. This friendship is is sword, it is iron, because it draws from the mighty, completed, impregnable salvation won by Christ at Calvary. When we see sin in one another, when we rebuke sin in one another, we must, must point to Christ who saves us from our sins. True friendship is friendship that says, look at Christ. Look at what Christ has done for you. Look at his gentleness. Look at his power. Look at his compassion. Look at his forgiveness. Look at the life that he shares with you. A true friendship pursues the tact to say all these things in a way that our friend will hear. In the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter three, it says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We are lied to every day. We are liable to be deceived by sin every day. Our pride will leap to boast or to worry about tomorrow rather than trusting in the Lord. And our pride will envy and it will grumble and it will gripe. And every day we will find sin is crouching at the door. And our Lord has given to us friendship. Friends to faithfully wound. Friends to gladden the heart. Friends to sharpen. And friends in all to point again and again and again and again and again to Christ. Friends to say until our words run out, Christ is better. 
Christ is worth it. Christ is all. John Piper said, Christian friendship exists for this, to say things that keep each other believing. So as we come to a close, let me ask you again. What about your friendships? And what sort of friend are you? Now, if we find that we've not been the true friends that we ought to be, if we find that's the case, then we meet again our lovely saviour in our failing. And our lovely saviour is ready to forgive and he's ready to give us the strength to change. Let's call on him now. Oh, Lord Jesus, you are the friend of sinners. And we as sinners call on you as our friend, our friend who laid down his life for us. Oh, Lord Jesus, please forgive us for where we failed. And Lord Jesus, please give us the strength to be friends to one another. With the friendship that you've extended to us, may we extend it to others. May we point one another to Christ. Give us wisdom and tact and love and care to say things that keep each other believing. Amen. That's Live at Five done for today. Sorry that we've gone on a little longer um, than planned. Uh, we are going to continue in Proverbs um, for the next few Sundays. Um, may the Lord bless you in the weekend.